Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm grateful to be able to bring you another little clip Another little snippet, a little dose, a a truth shot from the Word of God today. This is Jeff. Thanks for being a part of the audience that listens to Mavericks and Misfits, and I'm grateful for all of you, especially those of you that are uh, finding us for the very first time today. It's real simple what we do on this podcast. We're just a group of people that um, believe the kingdom of God is far bigger than any denominational slice of the kingdom. We believe that uh, God is absolute, and we believe that he is sufficient, his word is sufficient, and that his spirit is necessary in order for us to live lives that bring him glory and bring us pleasure. And so we are a group of people that are committed to the word of God, the written word of God, the Bible, and we are also equally committed to the personhood of the Holy Spirit, along with his power, along with his gifts, along with uh, the revelation that comes through his presence and his activity in our lives. So you don't have to pick and choose. Mavericks and misfits, we don't fit into any one denomination, hence the name misfits. And we are people that uh, don't bow to a system of belief, a denominational system, a cultural Christianity, hence the name Mavericks. So um, welcome. I hope that this resonates with you. And to, today I want to continue in a thread that I've been in for a few episodes. Most of the recent episodes have had a little touch of this. Uh, kind of topic on it, and I'm, I've been talking a lot about warfare, talking about spiritual warfare, talking about uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, living for his glory, living by faith, uh, pursuing him, pursuing his very best for our lives, and uh, advancing the gospel, advancing his glory, advancing his name. You know, that does not come naturally. That is a spiritual endeavor. It's a supernatural hunger and thirst for all of you who are wanting to um, make the fame of Jesus Christ greater in your generation. And because you've chosen to do that, you've set yourself up for warfare. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. I'm talking about a very literal devil, Satan, Lucifer. And I'm talking about an innumerable host of demons that are in alliance with Satan. And Jesus believed in them, Paul believed in them, Peter believed in them, the writers of the gospel believed in them, the prophets of old believed in them. And so the word of God is filled with um, really unassailable teaching that Satan is real, his demons are real. And when you commit yourself to live for the glory of Jesus, you put a bullseye on yourself. Every single Christian is engaged in warfare. Um, And what I mean by that is, War has been declared on every single Christian, so you don't get a vote as to whether or not you're part of the warfare. You do get a vote as to whether or not you're going to be proactive in that war. And if you're proactive in that war, then you're going to win that war. If you're reactive in that war, you're going to really, really struggle in life, and your life is going to be less than what God has intended for you. And so I made up my mind um, some time ago, who knows when it was, but I just made up my mind that... Uh, Based on the truth of the Word of God, especially what I read in the epistles in the New Testament, um, I made up my mind that God wants me to win. He wants me to overcome. He says that I'm a conqueror. 
and that I'm not to live my life as a victim of circumstance, as a victim of what people have done, as, um, you know, curled up in a fetal position on the kitchen floor crying because somebody did me wrong or the devil's after me. I, I just made up my mind that that's the type of life for the pagans. Let the pagans live in that kind of fear and worry and anxiety. But for the children of God, there is something far greater something much higher and something more absolute for us. And so I want to continue in that vein today. I'm going to bring you um, a little, I guess it's going to be kind of like a message, but I'm going to be in Isaiah 14. I normally don't do like expository stuff on the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, but I woke up today and just knew immediately as I woke up that the Lord wanted me to share this passage out of Isaiah 14 with you and just to help you to remember that the devil is defeated. I want to talk to you about the desire and the destiny of Satan. What, what does he, what did he desire? What does he desire today? But what's his destiny? I mean, if we're going to fight this enemy, it's good that we know who the enemy is and what the Bible says about him. And so I want to take you to a, an, an ancient passage of Scripture um, that is written in symbolic form. Um, and I, I just want to go ahead and tell you, I don't know of any conservative scholarship that doesn't agree that this is a, a symbolic um, passage of Scripture that is referencing Satan, literally, Lucifer, in his uh, state in heaven before he was evicted out of heaven. Who is this one named Satan? Who is he? And who are these demons? Where did they come from? Well, Isaiah 14, and if you want to add a footnote, if you ever take notes or you just want to remember this, Ezekiel 28 is also another passage that gives us a glimpse into the um, pre-fall existence of Satan. Satan was actually a holy angel. He was a created angel that God created, and apparently, <clears throat> excuse me, a high-ranking angel could have been the angel who led the worship atmosphere in heaven. Ezekiel 28 alludes to that, that, that Lucifer was actually the worship leader in heaven with musical instruments that were rendered ceaselessly for the glory of the Father. And somewhere along the line, um, he got enamored with himself. Um, he is described as beautiful and he got enamored with himself and then he got enamored with God's throne and then he got enamored with God's glory and then he got envious and then he got, <laughs> he got scheming and plotting and planning and wanted God's glory for himself. And because of that, um, God who will share his glory with nobody, let's just remember that today. God shares his glory with nobody including the most beautiful, highest-ranking angel in heaven, whose name was Lucifer. So let me read you a little bit out of Isaiah 14, beginning in verse number 12. This is what the prophet wrote. And it says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, Lucifer. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the one who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you are cast out, away from your grave like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. Now, those are ancient words that point towards something more than just a human ruler who is evil and rejected by God. Um, This is a passage that is symbolically speaking of Satan, and I don't know that it's altogether overly symbolic. I just think it's a prophetic picture looking back and looking forward to the destiny of the one named Lucifer. And so when we're thinking about our enemy, we have to think wisely and soberly because although he's a defeated foe, he is a very, very powerful supernatural being. He is a fallen spirit, a wicked spirit, a fallen angel couple of things to remember. The devil is not just like the dark form of God. The devil isn't omnipotent. That means he doesn't have all power. He's not omniscient. That means he doesn't know everything. And the devil's not omnipresent. That means he can only be in one place at one time because he is a limited created being and he's not like God, but he is spiritual. He is a master of understanding the human race He knows how to wage war, and most people that have ever existed on this planet are in full, blind cooperation with the strategy of Satan for their lives. Uh, The reason why I can say that is Jesus taught us that, that the way to glory, the way to life is narrow, and only a few find it, but broad is the way to destruction, and many go in that way. That's what Jesus taught So Satan has carved out the broad path for people, and most people cooperate with his evil agenda. Um, He knows how to tempt. He knows how to uh, destroy. He knows how to steal and rob and plunder, and he is um, without mercy. He clothes himself as an angel of light. Uh, Paul wrote that and said that many people don't understand that Satan does not come as the, you know, medieval caricature of the man in the red suit with the horns and the pitchfork and the you know, the cackle. But Satan comes disguised as an angel of light, meaning that um, he, he presents himself in a way that is appealing and desirable. And that's the way he works in the earth today. He, he doesn't want to appear to us in a scary Halloween-ish kind of way. He comes and works uh, according to cultural strongholds. And I have friends in Africa that talk about, you know, uh, spiritism and mysticism and uh, clearly demonic strongholds. And um, it's very, you know, spooky the way he works in Africa. Um, And it's different in the way that he works here in America. Here in America, it's very subtle. Uh, It's very intense because he is um, the prince of the power of the air and he controls i believe government in the united states of america he definitely controls the entertainment industry 
he controls um, so much of our views on morality and our philosophical views in the educational system. Um, and he works through the mind because we are an intellectual um, culture here in the United States of America. And so what does he do? Well, he takes ownership of what we think and uh, the directives that inform um, our thinking. And so he, he knows how to work because he's been a, an observer. He's been an uh, anthropologist, so to speak, since the Garden of Eden. And so he knows how to work in every culture and every generation, and he's at work against you. I need you to hear that. Satan and the demonic realm are at work against you, my Christian friend. And the reason why I say that is because the the main thing that Satan wages war against is the only thing that threatens his agenda, and that is the church of Jesus Christ, because we are the only ones who can bring glory to God. And the one thing that Satan has always wanted for himself is the glory. And he knows he can't get that glory ultimately, but he works feverishly, fiendishly, nonstop in order to prevent the glory of God from manifesting on the earth. And the only people that are equipped to cooperate with advancing the glory of God on earth is the church or are the Christians. So he's fighting you. So it's important that you know him, know his agenda, know his strategies, know his nature. Um, Back to the passage in Isaiah, we we see this representation of what it meant for him to be cast out of heaven in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the dawn, O Daystar, son of the dawn. How you're cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. And so you have this picture in one verse of Satan being cast out of heaven, cut down to the ground, fallen from heaven. Um, I mentioned Ezekiel 28 earlier. This is what it says in Ezekiel 28. Just listen to these verses. You can write them down later. It's verses 14 through 17. But this is a glimpse of how Satan was prior to that fall. It says in Ezekiel 28, you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. I want you to get that. Satan was placed by God and the eternal mountain of God in the midst of the stones, um, some kind of illustration probably of, of uh, a paradise that God had created, and that Satan was blameless in all of his ways for uh, an immeasurable period of time. We don't know when the angels were created or how long they were created before Satan fell or bef- between Uh, Satan's creation or Lucifer's creation and then the creation of Adam and Eve. We're not sure of the timetable, but it says at some point that he was blameless until unrighteousness was found in you. And then verse 16 says, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So Satan in paradise, in the presence and the glory of God, created perfectly, chose to sin. And so the word says in verse number 16 of uh, Ezekiel 28, God says, so I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stone of fire. So that was the eviction. It describes God casting Lucifer out of heaven, out of the mountain of God, and destroying him in the sense of now his glory, his destiny was now locked in because he was a rebel. And why did that happen? Because what verse 17 says in Ezekiel 28, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And then God says, I cast you to the ground. So just very quickly summarizing. So Satan was created beautifully. 
He was created for the glory of God. He served that purpose for some unspecified amount of time in eternity past in heaven. But because he became enamored with himself, he was proud because of his beauty. He loved himself. Um, so he corrupted his wisdom. These are all proactive things. Satan actively rebelled against the father and he did it for the sake of his own splendor. That's a reference to Satan becoming, um, just falling in love with himself and his own glory. And God says, I'll have none of that. And I cast you to the ground. Um, by the way, revelation chapter 12 also kind of speaks to this in, in revelation 12 verses seven to nine. That's the passage that said that there was this war in heaven and Michael and the angels were fighting against Satan, the dragon. And it says the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So we know Ezekiel 28 in its language is parallel to Revelation 12. And so Revelation 12 interprets Ezekiel 28, that the one who was cast out of heaven in Ezekiel 28 is seen in Revelation 12 and is named is the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And it says he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Do you get that? So there was a group of holy angels that rebelled with Lucifer against God. And by the way, Lucifer, the son of light, speaks of um, uh, Satan's pre-fall, pre-eviction from heaven uh, name and his nature. But then Satan means the accuser. So when he was cast out of heaven, he became the deceiver and the accuser of the whole world. But it's very clear that he was evicted from heaven. He was thrown down to earth and all of his angels were thrown down with him. So we find out in the book of Revelation that a third of the angels rebelled with Satan. Now, nobody knows how many angels were created. They're not specified, but we're told that it's myriads of angels, like probably innumerable, that God created innumerable angels. These, a third of them rebelled against God and their doom was sealed forever. That's their destiny. Do you remember when Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 18, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So all of this is very clear. I'm, I'm going out of my way to make it a point for, because some of you have never heard this, that, that literally Lucifer was a holy angel in paradise, serving God, created for God's glory one of apparently the most majestic creatures that God ever created, but he fell in love with himself and his pride was birthed in him and he wanted his own glory to be greater than God's glory. And when God saw this, God cast him out of heaven and a third of the angels that were in some way in alliance with Satan in his rebellion against the glory of God. What did, what did that rebellion look like? What, what was it that Satan was plotting to do? He never got to do it, but what does he want to do? What did he want to do? Well, let's go back to, um, back to Isaiah 14, because this is where we see that he wanted to be the king. <laughs> Satan didn't want God to be the king. He, he wanted to be the king. He wanted the throne. I mean, I want you to think about that. So great was Satan's self-love and pride that he wanted to dethrone his creator and replace him. And he wanted all of that worship that had gone to God by the created order, the angelic beings that God had created that worshiped God night and day. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Satan said, I don't like that. I don't want him getting that. I want that. And so that's why in verse 13 of Isaiah 14, he's quoted. And the quote is this, you said in your heart, I will ascend. I will ascend 
And then it's, it goes on in verse 13. I'm going to go above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches. And then he says in verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And here it is. Dun, dun, dun. Here it is. I will make myself like the most high. There you go. In essence, no, not in essence, in actuality, Satan says, I want to be God. I do not want God to be God. I want to be God. I want to sit on his throne. I want to ascend to the highest place in all of existence. I want God to get off the throne and I want to take that throne for myself. I'm going to rebel against God. Now, these are the I wills that Satan said. I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches. I will ascend above the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, the question is, how did that go for him? Because, um, you know, he's rebelling against God. It's a foolish thing for any of us to live in rebellion towards God. I, I, I don't know that any of you listening have ever wanted to be God. And if you are, repent and humble yourself in the name of Jesus Christ because you are on very, very dangerous ground. If God casts Satan out of heaven, he'll have no problem casting you out of earth if you want to be like the Most High God. But chances are not a single one of you listening wants to do that. But Satan did. And so we, we see that he gets eliminated. I mean, it wasn't hard. It's not like God had to, you know, you know, work his way through this to decide what to do. He God is about God. God is you know, committed to God's own glory. So when anything raises up against the glory of God, ultimately, if it persists in that way, God brings it down. And that's what he did with Lucifer. And it says that in verse 15 of Isaiah 14, it says, you're brought down to Sheol. You're brought down to destruction. You're brought down to the far reaches of the pit. Um, this happened metaphorically when he was evicted out of heaven, but this has a literal and permanent fulfillment, a greater fulfillment coming in the future. It hasn't happened yet. It's pictured in Revelation 20. Just listen to these verses from Revelation 20. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for the battle, for their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That's talking about Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Now, verse 10 of Revelation 20 says this, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So in Isaiah 14, 15, it says, You're brought down to destruction to the far reaches of the pit. We see the literal future fulfillment of that in Revelation 20, where it says that he was cast into the lake of fire and sulfur, and they're there that he'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Um, you know, it's amazing to me, let's just slow down for a second, that, that Satan right now is pictured as a hungry, roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that's very, very real. And we're told to be sober and vigilant. The Christians are actually said, told, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So Christians are told, hey, be on guard, be vigilant, because he is a devouring lion. But in the end, the Bible is very clear that his destiny is the lake of fire where he will be cast in by God himself. What's amazing 
as the scriptures teach that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Satan's literally going to bow the knee to the son of God, the one he hates, the one he wanted his glory. But there's coming a termination date where Satan will bow before Jesus and all of the saints of God will watch this happen. Every demon will bow and Satan himself will bow. By the way, the demonic realm hates this message, hates this kind of uh, explanation because it reminds them of their doom. And I love to preach this because it is a message not only to saints to be instructed and edified, but it is a message that goes out into the spiritual realm. And the demons, if there's any demons near you or me right now, they're having to hear this testimony from the word of God that their doom is sure, that they're damned, that they're doomed. And it's already written and it's already going to happen. So I like to remind the enemy of this regularly. And I just say right now, to the enemy, to the demonic realm. This lake of fire is prepared for you. You will bow before the son of God. You will confess him as Lord, and then you'll be cast into the lake of fire because Jesus had said, this is what is going to happen. I just, I, I, I want us to remember that, that he's a defeated foe. His doom is sure. We'll be standing in glory and he'll be standing in, or he'll be sinking in destruction. And then it says in verse, and I'm running out of time, but it says in Isaiah 14, Verses 16 and 17, this speaks of us. Now, this is awesome. This is so good. It says, those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. And this is what they will ponder in that day. In the day of Satan's destruction in the lake of fire, we will see him, we will stare at him, and we will say to ourselves, is this the one who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities and did not let his prisoners go home. I love that verse because it, it places us in, a, in an opportunity to say, if that's what the future is, I mean, it's written. Guys, this isn't debatable. This is going to happen. That there will be a group of people described in Isaiah 14, verses 16 and 17, who will stare at Satan in his destruction, his final destruction. And we will wonder, is this burning, defeated foe the one who made the earth to tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who didn't let his prisoners go home? That day is coming. And so, guys, we need to live in victory now. We need to quit giving the devil glory. We need to quit saying that, oh, the devil got me here and the devil got me there and the devil did this and the demon's doing this and I'm under attack and all of that. Listen, you can't live that way. You can, you can acknowledge, you can nod your head to spiritual warfare. You need to be assertive and aggressive and proactive and closing every door in your life that might let the enemy in. But unless you let him in, he can't get to you. And that's why it's so important that we live lives of righteousness and holiness and faithfulness and truth, that we operate in love, that we do not give the enemy a foothold or a stronghold, because the only way that he brings defeat and destruction to a Christian life is that we let him in. The devil's the thief to whom many Christians open the door and say, come on in. And guys, we've got to, we've got to recognize that he's defeated. Well, look at him in the end of the age and say, I can't believe that this is the one that tormented the nations. Why was I ever afraid of him? And if we can take that mindset right now and, and listen, we humble, we, we submit ourselves unto God. We resist the devil and the devil runs. That's the formula. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it's that submission unto God that a lot of Christians are wrestling with. 
And they want to live a divided life. They want to play with sin. They want to live in and out of righteousness. And they have situational ethics. And they they sometimes obey and they sometimes don't. And the devil's like, yeah, I've been messing with people like you the whole existence of mankind. You don't have to be fully evil to give the devil an open door. All you got to do is be compromised. And so we stay low. We stay on our face. We stay in prayer. We stay in the word of God. We stay and operate in love and forgiveness with fellow man because the biggest door opening through which Satan enters into a life to ruin that life is through the the gateway of bitterness because bitterness is the exact opposite of the nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And bitterness says, no, I'm not going to do that. Bitterness says, I've got a right. Even though I'm forgiven, even though God's forgiven all of my sins, I've got a right to hold this other person or these people hostage to what they did to me. And Satan says, yes, please do that. Please do that. Please live in resentment. Please live in bitterness. Please don't forgive because as long as you keep that door open, I can keep going in and out of your life. That's a word for some of you right now, man. Some of you just need, I mean, I'm just being bold with you, but it's the time is short. You need to get on your face and ask God to forgive your unforgiveness and for God to give you the, to unlock the grace and the mercy that he has for you to forgive everybody for everything. That's who you forgive. People ask me all the time, Jeff, how much do I forgive? Who do I forgive? You forgive everybody for everything because if you don't, you're living in resentment and bitterness. And that's an open door for this enemy who is defeated to gain a foothold in your life. And when he gains a foothold, he turns it into a stronghold. And so we need to remember that if the day is coming, we're going to say, is this the one that, that tormented me? Is this the demon that I cooperated with? Is this the one I was afraid of? Because you don't have to be that way. So we, we, we just, I'm out of time. <laughs> I hate running out of time, but this message, this theme just has so much to unpack, but I, Ultimately, I want to leave you with this, that the desire of Satan was that he wanted to be like God. He, he wanted to be God. He, he didn't want God to be God. He wanted God to get out of the way and let him be God because he loved himself. That's, that was the desire of Satan. And God shot blocked that, to say the least. That's an understatement. God literally took Satan and threw him out of heaven, cast him down to the earth. And that casting down is going to continue until Satan is cast into the abyss, the lake of fire, where he's going to be tormented day and night. That's his destiny. It's a done deal. Every demon, it's a done deal. I mean, in the name of Jesus, let the demons hear this, that they are doomed and they will burn forever in the lake of fire. And Christians, you need to remember that. So stop cooperating with the schemes and the lies and the deception that come from hell and are demonically fueled in your life. Stop believing and agreeing with lies. Come out of this world system, come out of the compromise and come out of unforgiveness. And recognize that if you will just shut the door on the enemy, he can't do anything. He has no authority in your life. The only authority that he uses is the authority that we give him when we move out from under the umbrella of protection that comes when we're walking in the spirit and when we're living in the flesh. And so Satan longed for the glory of kingship and he lusted for the preeminence in the kingdom of God. He wanted to be preeminent. And so he rages against all that brings glory to God. That's what he does. He's an enraged, maniacal, merciless, fallen angel who's wreaking havoc against anything that brings glory to God. That's what he assaults. But we don't have to cooperate with his plans because greater is the one who lives in us than the one who lives in the world. And so in the end, Satan receives this everlasting sentence of shame and defeat and it's going to happen in the presence of those that he had previously victimized, us. And we're going to see it. We're going to say, I can't believe this is the one 
that we were intimidated by, that we were afraid of. And then ultimately he gets eliminated from the presence of the glorious kingdom of God. Think about this as I say goodbye. So Satan in the end gets the exact opposite of everything he strategized for. He wanted to ascend to the most high. And instead he gets thrown into the lowest pit, the lake of fire. He wanted the glory of God for his own. And instead he not only doesn't get his own glory, but he receives everlasting condemnation and he's cut off from the only glory that will exist in eternity. And that's the glory of God. And he wanted all power and instead he gets complete defeat and he wanted people to worship him. And instead people will look upon him and say, what a pathetic creature this one turned out to be. Guys, this is huge. So may the Holy Spirit quicken us to recognize who we are in Christ and to cooperate with the glory of God and to refuse to cooperate with the strategies of Satan. My time's gone. Thanks for listening to Mavericks and Misfits today. Keep tuning in. Go by transformingtruth.org. That's our umbrella website. You can get a copy of my book, Figuring It Out As I Go, right there off the website. If you don't want to go to the website, you can get a copy of it at Amazon.com. If you prefer to listen to a book, you can hear me narrate Figuring It Out As I Go on Audible.com. Hope you'll get um, a copy of it. Maybe give it one a copy. Hey, listen, the only thing I ask you to do as a listener of Mavericks and Misfits is would you take literally one minute after this podcast is over and rate and review us on iTunes. Could you do that for me? Increase our digital footprint. We just want people to hear this truth, share it on your social media. Let people be aware of it. Look, I don't have an insatiable need to be heard or beloved or anything like that. It's not about me. We're not making any money off of this. We're not doing anything. I just love to teach and preach and help Christians in their journey. If it's helped you, it'll probably help somebody else. So give us a rating and a review and share it with others on social media. Hey, look, we'll talk to you next time. My time's gone. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.